Now, I, everybody thinks I'm crazy that I grew up around Bardstown. They're like, what are you trying to make? sell New York bourbon in Tennessee? <laughs> what the f- Hey, it's episode 327 of Bourbon Pursuit, the podcast featuring news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. We're now on our final episode in our four-part series of Is Bourbon Broken? based on the multi-part blog series from Bourbon & Banter. We've looked at the consumer, we've looked at the secondary market, and we also looked at distribution and retail, but this time we're going back to part one and revisiting the consumer, but at a slightly different angle because we're going to start evaluating the purchasing trend of consumers. Now, don't get me wrong, bourbon and marketing, they really go hand in hand. And because behind every great bottle is an even better story, and that story is the catalyst that sells the bottle. The market is changing, and there are now more craft distilleries than ever. There's younger age statements, and there's non-distilling producers that are putting out products that are like 10 times the price tag of what it really cost the original producer. So what continues to drive this consuming and this purchasing behavior? Well, we'll dig into that here shortly. Enjoyed this week's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Chalk. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Bill Webb, who writes me on Twitter, Is it wise to use a bottle spout when pouring for tastings? Wouldn't that be the way to control the amount poured in case a person tasting didn't care for the spirit poured? Lastly, would a person be looked down upon for finishing everyone's leftovers of a tasting? Listen, Bill, um... You can't go and slurp up your buddy's drink after they've uh, they've put their uh, greasy lips around the the rim and uh, gotten their saliva all up in there. I mean, Bill, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and no matter your opinion on that stuff, it's never a good idea to be drinking after somebody, even if there's alcohol involved. Uh, in terms of the spout, that is really used to control pouring at bars. I hate them because most of the most of them don't fit on uh, on the bourbon bottles that you would see at a nice party. Like getting a spout to fit on an Elijah Craig bottle is very difficult. Like the the opening of an Elijah Craig bottle, you have to have a special spout. So no, I am not for spouts. If you want to have even pours, use a like a metal shot glass uh, or something like that. But yeah, no. Don't 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 use one of those things. I, I I'm very much against them. Uh, but that's gonna do it for this week's above the char. Hey, if you have an idea like uh, Bill, who I suspect is going to ignore my comments and go drink everyone else's bourbon, uh, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, or go to fredminick.com and write me with your above the char idea. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. 
And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back, everybody, to this fourth installment of Is Bourbon Broken? on Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny, Ryan, and Fred all here once again to dive into this fourth part, and credit of this series on Is Bourbon Broken goes to Brent Joseph, who's a contributing writer to Bourbon and Banter. Over this four-part series, we have evaluated Brent's opinion piece on Is Bourbon Broken, and we add our own commentary to expand further on where we see bourbon trending. In part four of Is Bourbon Broken series, we will talk about the one final argument, and that is looking at the consumer once again. In Brent's fourth article, we revisit the consumer problem, and he alludes that consumers are continuing to pay ridiculous prices at retail for bottles of extremely young or source bourbon from a myriad of new brands. He points the fingers to places like Blue Run for selling $150 13-year-old source bourbon and at craft distillers for selling two-year-old bourbon for greater than $50, when there's heritage distilleries selling their regular products, which have higher age statements and lower prices. Brent worries that this trend will not stop and in the words, or should I say in his words, some of you continue to pay double for stuff that is just not good. However, the bourbon community has a chance to stop it. And he says, if customers don't buy overpriced product, the product either goes away or the pricing comes back to reality. So there's no question that there's a few things happening. First is that there's probably more choice now than ever as a consumer. And second, the envelope is continually being pushed in regards to pricing. So on the first part, as people in the whiskey media, we pay attention to everything that's happening in the bourbon world. Are we seeing an overabundance of options on the market? Or Fred, do you think it's just in line with the times? It's in line with the times. And if a distiller is coming out and they're 20 bucks, they're not going to sell because I'm in Total Wine the other day and there's this... uh, there's this guy just kind of looking at the looking at the shelf and you know some of the attendants and I start talking 
And he wants our opinion on, on, on what to get. And one of the things that came up is like, well, that's just a little too cheap. I don't think I want to get that. He paid $60 for something because that was the amount of money he was going to buy or that was the amount of money he was going to spend. And it did not matter that what we were recommending was $40 less and better than that $60 product. I mean, I think in the whiskey media, we communicate to people in a bubble. I think people that we are communicating to and the well, Bourbon and Banner, you know, people who read that, I, I don't, I think that we think very differently than that gentleman who is walking into a store who is a consumer of bourbon, but is not a consumer of, of bourbon media. And I just think- or Would you consider him an enthusiast maybe? Yeah, yeah. He's an, he's an I, you know, this guy spends a lot of money according to the, to the people there. And they just, they just have something in their mind. Um, and I've seen this play out time and time again. People have it in their mind that- you know, something that's more expensive is better. And that is that mentality is, is hard to you know get people to break away from. And like the brands have to price themselves where they get purchased. There's that's the truth of it. And so these new brands that are coming out, they're new and they're shiny, and you know, people want uh, want something different, you know, and blue run is a very similar run to 15 other bottles on the shelf. Well, they're priced at a premium and they're getting a very different look than a lot of people uh, to include like that gentleman yesterday. So, I mean, this is a real problem. And I, I think of all the things that we have talked about, it's the one that we can't solve. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like if you want bourbon to be broken, then you stop buying all this stuff. Because I think if you want bourbon to continue to flourish... And to continue to grow, then you're gonna have people are gonna have to embrace these products, these higher end age, higher age stable, higher price points, because that's help paying and help paving the way for the future of this hobby. You know, it's you, you can't twenty bucks a bottle. Is a, you know, back when stuff was priced, no one gave a shit about bourbon. That's why it was priced that way. People give a shit now, and you know, and we yeah. gotta embrace that, and we gotta if we want to keep moving forward, we're gonna have to keep investing and keep keep buying stuff. So if we just stop. And saying, ah, oh, we're just not going to buy this stuff, you know. But it's, yeah, I don't know. And it's and it's and it's like also how bourbon was built. Bourbon was not built to compete with scotch, you know. It was it was built to be more of an everyday pour. It was it was built to be something that you know a farmer could drink or a doctor could drink or a plumber or a mechanical engineer. I mean, this is supposed to be the category for all people. And for people where, that, you know, where value is, is more important than uh, luxury. And that's how, that's how it was built. And now that it's, you know, skewing more toward the luxury side, you have this enormous gap of, you know, under $30 products to the 60 and above. And every year, you know, the mark of what is value goes up. I mean, I remember writing stories when the mark of value was $15, then it was 20, then it was 25. And now, I mean... If I'm if if I'm not saying something is sixty bucks is a value, then there are people who are like, man, that's a, that's a really good value, and it's like you can see like the consumer is changing. It's, yeah, it's changing. Like seventy five dollars used to be like, oh boy, that's this, a lot. This is a yeah, lot of money, lot. and now I'm like, if it's under seventy five, I'm like, that's a great deal. You know, it's what a, am I waiting for? I'll take yeah. three. And, yeah. And that's kind of what goes back to when we were originally doing our whiskey quickies. We were trying to figure out how do we judge all this sort of stuff. And there's a lot of people out there and they put a they put a weight on the value or the price of it and where it regards and stands to them. And we decided early on and said, we're not going to put 
any weight on the price of the bourbon. We're going to judge it on the whiskey in itself because what's $20 is a value to one person, 200 is to somebody else. And it's hard to figure out and say, oh yeah, for us, this is where it's at. Like it's got to be a solid $50 bottle. If it's a $500 bottle and it's some of the best stuff you've ever tasted, is that a value? I don't know. The whiskey's just damn good. Like that's what it, it kind of boiled down to. And so Ryan, you know, I, I posted it, Fred, but I kind of posted to you too. I mean, do you think that what we see with on the shelves, I mean, you, you can go to Total, you can go to any of the large liquor stores and you can see like the bourbon aisle just goes, like it doesn't stop going. And there is an abundance. Do you think that is in line with the times or do you think that there is, there's just too much out right now? No, I think it's in line with the times. I mean, people are thirsty and hunger, hungry for, you know, they've had the, you know, so-called value brands and those are all great. And it is hard to argue that, you know, a Knob Creek 10 year old is, or a Four Roses small batch or, you know, those Russells that are, you know, priced at 40, 50 bucks, 30 bucks, that they're not better than some of these, but it's a hobby that there's so much flavor difference out there and you can search and find so much nuance and differences and different things about all these brands. And it's, it, it's, you got to have that, that people want that. Uh, you know, we do it. I mean, look at your bar. I, I mean, <laughs> it's a, you know, I've had this discussion with people. I'm like, you know, vodka drinkers or tequila drinkers, they're typically like, you know, I'm going to buy my Tito's or I'm going to buy El Humidor, you know, or I'm a, a rum is like, I'm going to buy this. Not with bourbon, probably, I, I would love to see how many average bottles a bourbon drinker has. It's got to be north of 10, you know, and that's, that's pretty crazy, you know. Even for, someone who doesn't consider themselves right, exactly. a bourbon enthusiast. Yeah, like I, I met with the lawyer the other day and we were talking about like what he, uh, what he has in his collection. He's like, yeah, I'm not much of a bourbon drinker. He named off 12 products that he has on a shelf. <laughs> 12. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm not really much of a bourbon drinker. And and like yes, there's a lot of bad product out there, a lot of bad offerings. But me, I'm still interested to try them. I'm like, it's like, ooh, you know, what's going on with this brand? What's that? You know, I'm I'm interested. And in like, I think as people get into this hobby, we all went, we all started there where we're like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, you know, twenty dollar Weller twelve was you know everyday thing. But well, hey, we can't find that. But you kind of get bored with that, and you're always just looking for new, better things, different flavors, and. You see it in wine too, you know, you have your like staples that you're like, yeah, this is good, but what's that, you know, and you're always trying to like, well, having, having like a, a, you know, having cut my teeth on wine, the wine industry is so very different. They actually took a cue from uh, the spirits industry, like going toward like branding, you know, Silver Oak uh, is a good example. Prisoner is a good example, but wine was always about region. And so- it's a, it was either French or Italian, and then it would be broken down, you know, Tuscany, you know, or France, like Bordeaux, Burgundy, things like that. And so these things would always be, you know, broken down. And now it's more on, on the branding side. And that is the next evolution for, for bourbon. So bourbon is kind of like going more toward what, you know, wine used to be. And you're starting to see a, like a lot of geographical uh, changes in a lot of different styles, and you all are part of that. You know, 20 years ago, if a brand tried to put a, a, a blend of straights on the shelf, they'd have been laughed out of a liquor store. From three different states, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then now- Everybody thinks I'm crazy that I grew up around Bardstown. They're like, what are you trying to make? Sell New York bourbon in Tennessee? <laughs> what the f you know. And now that's, that's um, all in vogue. So that's the kind of like, 
the trend, and that's an exciting part for me, uh, is the new styles that we are seeing. They're actually not new styles. They've been in the books, but no one's played around with them. You know, Barrel's great at it. High West is great at it. You guys are playing around in it. Uh, you're starting to see brands like Oregon Spirit kind of come out with with products that, you know, you know, five, 10 years ago, I never would have given them the time of day. And now they're like, you know, they're bringing the heat. And so that's that part is very, very exciting. And when you start seeing that kind of spread out and you see the competition, you know, kind of even out a little bit, you know, I think, you know, and I'm not an economics guy, I'm not an economics professor, but I think that what you will see is that you will see like we're eventually going to hit a price point that is it's it's going to hit and then everything is going to kind of revolve around that. And it used to be like Maker's Mark was the price point. And then it was like Woodford Reserve were the two price points that you wanted to be in between or around, like when you were starting a new brand. And like now, it's just kind of like an entire shelf. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know when that ceiling is going to hit, but it is fascinating to just observe a liquor store shelf from month to month to month to month. It's fascinating. Yeah. See how, and with, see how it rotates. And like bourbon drinkers to me, along with like wine drinkers, it's not... You know, bourbon drinking, yeah, while yes, we like to have fun, and but it's an experience. I want to show off and find those new brands, those new flavors, be like, oh, you haven't had this? Try that, you know? Yeah, of course you've tried Knob Creek before. It's great, but what about this, you know? And it's just this whole experience. I don't know. That, that That's the mindset I think a bourbon drinker gets. Yeah. And I think you look at it from a, a craft point of view where you can try to find a, a lot of those different nuanced flavors at younger ages because there's a lot of good craft whiskey that's coming out for at four years old. And I think we've already said it before that in the next two to four years, I think we will see a, a huge surge of mm -hmm. really good craft whiskey that's been on the scenes because now it's finally starting to age. I think one of my things I look at is that, Ryan, to kind of go back to what you were saying earlier, is that you have all these brands that have been out there um, and that you've tried. And we know that a few years ago that there was a lot of people that got on the MGP and people were trying a lot of MGP and they found out they really liked 13 year MGP and older than that and completely wiped out the market on what was available out there. And so now we see brands having to readapt themselves and saying, okay, now we've got to sell three year or five year MGP to, to kind of stay afloat. I am concerned and kind of goes back to the consumer problem is that why are consumers, and this is like, I think OKI is a very good example of this. OKI was originally 11 to almost 14. I think they came out with a 15 year old bourbon at some point. And now they push four and five year old MGP. Yet consumers are going crazy for it. This was this we're talking uh, post uh, new riff sale. Yeah, post new riff sale, right? Yeah. So now they're starting to put out you know four or five year old MGP thirty six percent. It's literally just the same, as you say, the same exact stuff. Just you know ten years difference or eleven year. You know, you do the math there. But why are consumers still going towards brands that are still pushing it's younger like, age? It's the story. It's the brand behind it. They're like, this is the you know. But you it's not the same people, though. It, it isn't, but people still have that like memory of it. Or I kind of try to wrap my head around this too, and um, especially with like Smoke Wagon, you know, because I'm like, what is the craze about this? You know, it's five to six year MGP. Like, I, I just don't understand it. But then you try it, and you realize, wow, he's 
pretty good at blending it and it's got some good flavors that I'm not used to with uh and he's also know. like contract <laughs> distilling and yeah and you know and he gets a little bit of the pick of the litter too and and like it and it's not it is not always you know the same there 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 are like some little differences here and there with with some of these MGP brands but I you know going back to the pricing thing um another company that does like some MGP sourcing Old Elk Old Elk is a very affordable uh, price point. And I think, you know, when I think of brands that I really like what they're doing, that's one of them, you know, and they're in that 40 to $60 price point. They're not over gouging. And the whiskey is usually very, very good. Yeah. But I liked how they kind of pivot, like, and kind of focused on like, not just the standard MGP. Yeah. Match, they were just they, taking 36%. Like they made their own and then they, they really nailed it with the wheat whiskey for me. That's, exactly. That's that exactly. stuff's fantastic. If you've never had their weeded product, it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I think Old Elk is like crushing it, and I think and I, of like the new brands we talk about, and they're coming out. I'm like, that's to me, that's one of the one of the really good ones. And of course, that's got the former master distiller Greg Metz behind it. But um, you know, the this this comes up, and uh, you know, Chris Hart brought this up in social media not too long ago about like if you're a brand like, and you've got three to five year old. Uh, juice that you're coming out with and you're pricing it at X, just stop. And it's like, I'm, I always look at like, you know, people make business decisions based on their margins and what they need. It's a risk that you take with however you price it because the consumers will react to it. And um, if you don't have something that's special that warrants a hundred dollar price point or whatever it is, don't expect to sell another bottle. Yeah, and there, there's a difference too. But it's like who's behind the brand, who's doing the blending, who's doing what's because there's a lot of people just trying to capitalize on the bourbon boom, and they're just like, oh, we'll buy some source product, throw a label on it, throw it out there, and 150 dollar price tag. And and I don't think I'm not sure who's behind the okay. I can't remember. You know, I but I forget who it was sold off to as well. But um, you know, like Blue Run, for example. You you know, at first you're like, well, I mean, it's just. Barton, you know, it's like another Barton source product. But then right. you try it and you're like, man, somebody did some really good blending or good picking of single barrels here because it's it's Barton, but it's an elevated Barton, you know. It's uh, it, it, so you got to look at who's behind it. But a lot of everyday consumers aren't going to look at that, and so they're just looking at that price tag and they're like, oh, fifty, sixty dollars, that must be better than the, you know, the other uh, lower price pointed products. So. And they also came out at a time when, if you think about it. In today's market putting a a a big 13 on the label that means something yeah because there's not many age products out there five years ago you'd have been like 13 year old whiskey's everywhere like what are you trying to what are you trying to prove here today it's really hard to find a lot of those anything that's double digits so you start looking at it and say okay well now if you were to start a brand and you have those double digits it means something to a consumer uh they see that i can't help me tell me how many balls of calumet i see at like just friends and families and you know and it's all age stated you know and you're like i was like i didn't know anybody bought these but it makes sense because it had they're like it's 12 years old you know it's got to be good right and you're like maybe i don't know <laughs> yeah you know calumet's an interesting one uh that was one that i was really against for a long time uh from a flavor perspective i was not, say, not I'm curious why here <laughs> not them as people uh but it was just you like just don't I, like their horses is that what it well is? i just never tasted one that really did it for me and then i tasted uh i tasted you know one of the releases that was really good then i got their 15 year old one recently you know and i was it was a 15 you know a 15 year old for 109 bucks i bought it at costco and i was like 
Oh, this is good. And, and, you know, they were pricing it pretty good. You know, a hundred bucks for a 15 year old Kentucky straight bourbon. That's solid. Yeah. There's other ones charging 1500 for it. Yes. You know? There's, there's definitely some, uh, some price hikes in that area. So like, you know, I think Calumet, you know, they've been doing it for a while and, you know, and I think they're starting to get some of the choice barrels because they've been doing it so long. And that is, that therein is my, really where everything lies. It's like people who have relationships and can get the good stuff, kind of like Aaron from Smoke Wagon, uh, Calumet, uh, you know, people who can get those sweet, those sweet barrels, you know, that those are the ones who are going to hit. Mm-hmm. And we all, we've talked about this already that anything in the source world, it's always going to come with a higher price tag. And mm-hmm. there's, there's just no way around it because if you're not distilling it or you aren't contract distilling it, starting it from the very start, it's really hard to kind of keep those, those numbers low. Uh, however, we know that if you have a story in a package, then it's likely to sell. So as a bourbon enthusiast, many of us know where, as we talked about earlier, Blue Run, we know exactly where it's sourced from. Um, but we still want to try it anyway. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, we don't want to just say like, ah, we, we've had that before. We're still intrigued by it. We still want to try it. You know, is it just something that's in our psyche as, as bourbon enthusiasts that we just can't stop ourselves from trying something new that may not actually be new? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Is it just something that's in our psyche as, as bourbon enthusiasts that we just can't stop ourselves from trying something new that may not actually be new? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Because I, I like, you know me, I like to try everything. It's like, how could this batch of Barton be different than that batch of Barton? But it is sometimes, you know, and it's... it's we, do our, the, we do those single barrel picks yeah. and we see them side by side. It's that, And that's the exciting part. And that's why I've always said bourbon is the perfect product because it's so hard to it's hard to replicate you can replicate it 
but you have to do it in big scale, but you can find nuances on a small scale. And that's what's so fascinating about it is that you can take a product that's an everyday product and have a completely different profile because you can pick barrels that are from this part of the warehouse that taste completely different from that part of the warehouse. And that's what's fascinating about it all. And that's what keeps you interested because you're like, what if this is the secret batch? This what is, if this, this is the one? Remember, you always talk that's about- That's going to win San you always, Francisco. You always talk about those, awards. those special barrels, right? <laughs> yeah. You always talk about that. But then you walk into a house and you're like, oh, it's just another bottle of whiskey. Why am I getting so freaked out about it? But I can't I can't help myself. I still fall sucker to it every time. Yeah. And, and I'm always amazed too when I haven't seen a bottle before. You know, and then so it's like, I got to find out what this bottle is all about. You know, who's making this? Where's it from? Who's the owner? You know, and usually there's a- if I don't know the person that, you know, there's a degree of separation, but, um, there's just, it's kind of, uh, it's just kind of fun. You know, this is as much as it is how I make my living. It's also like a hobby, like collecting baseball cards of just like, even if I don't buy the card, I want to read the player statistics and I want to see the photo, what, what year it is and everything. So I think there's something to be said for that. And what I don't get excited about are like the Woodford Reserve, like uh, Derby bottles, you know, because there's nothing different in that. It's just a Derby bottle. I'll look at the art, but I won't buy it. Uh, I'll appreciate it. But if it was if it was a 12-year-old Woodford Reserve in there, I'd be freaking buying that all day long, but it's, it's not. Um, so I get, I get, I get really excited about, about finding the, finding the source of these things. That's, and that's, my fun part and you got to remember like my book bourbon curious when that came out in 2015 nobody talked about where they got their product from nobody disclosed their mash bills and i disclosed all of that stuff for everybody and now like there's like a, a bigger voice of transparency and that's absolutely amazing and you pick up some bottles they'll have mash bills on there and i'll say this is sourced and it's stored at this warehouse and this i mean i i, I just get all excited seeing like the level of detail on labels and um, I, I don't think that had anything to do with anything in this conversation. But Well, no, I mean, it, I think it goes to what you're also saying is that when we look at it from a consumer point of view, and if you look at it from a, actually a distiller's point of view, is that bourbon is very malleable in the fact that we could take a barrel and you can bottle it. But if you proof it at 85 versus 90 versus 95 versus 100 versus 110, I just named off six different product lines right there. No, I, no you gave <laughs> that's, uh, Weller's, that's uh, Weller's <laughs> business model, Heaven Hill's business model, you know. And, uh, and and you do that. You put it in a different part of the warehouse. You buy barrels from New York. You age them in Memphis for a year. It's a completely different product. And that is something that I think as a bourbon consumer, bourbon enthusiast, we have a story behind these. But at the same exact time, bourbon changes. It changes very yeah. easily. And so when you think of, I think I've tried everything out there, I don't think you have. There's there's going to be no end in sight for when you could say that, oh, I've tried this before because odds are that batch is different from this batch. This is a little bit different proof than this proof. This was, you know, this had, you know, sun shining down on it for three hours a day versus that one had nine hours a day. This one's now has this aged in glass. And, <laughs> but it's, it is crazy if you go to like uh, any website to find like mash pills and you look at all the Kentucky mash pills, they, they, they got to be within five to 10 points of each other on each mash pill, yeah. you know, 70 to 80% for the first number, you know, 10 to... 15, 15 on yeah. the second and then zero to three on the third. It's like <laughs> that they're all pretty similar. So, and then, but 
there's just so like you said it's very malleable there's so much change in the product as it in different places and uh, it's it's wild yeah there's a lot of play so i want to also touch on brent's comment of some of you continue to pay double for stuff that is just not good and i think if bourbon has taught me anything so far is that no one can agree on anything and bourbon is so polarizing that either everyone can have their own opinion and it's on taste and it probably won't matter unless fred minnick puts out a bad review on it so when we think about this... Wait, you wrote that? I wrote that. No. <laughs> I wrote that. He didn't say, say I don't remember that. <laughs> but I mean, that it just kind of show that whether we come out with 18 different product lines, you're going to have the people that like it, half the people that don't like it. And it's just going to be, gosh, how many times we've talked about how the music you're listening to, what you had for lunch, how everything is going to change the way that you feel about a bourbon on that day, that it's hard mm-hmm. for you to sit there and write something off on day one sometimes. Yeah, and you know, I know I try to tell people to taste for themselves as much as possible. You know, don't just don't listen to me. Don't listen to other critics. I mean, just use us as a guide, which you know I think we've all said on this show. And if you can't taste for yourself, decide for yourself, and you need other people to tell you. Um, you know, that's that's a dangerous way to spend money because you know you're going to buy something eventually that you don't agree with. But so, that's that's how the listicles get made. The top ten bourbons for yeah, you know that the, list, the, the we, dead heat of summer. We well, can do an entire the, show. But listicles. here's the thing: it's like they're all going to sell. Still, it's just a matter if they're going to get opened. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's the thing, which is crazy about bourbon. You know, like people are still buying it; they just may or may not open it based on a review. One of the one of the best comments I ever got from a distiller was like, you know, your bad reviews sell as much bourbon as your good reviews because people want to see if you're right. And I was like. Huh, that's that's a pretty good testimonial. Yeah, it is but, true. I'm always like, somebody's like, oh, this is bad. And I'm like, I want to try it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, I mean, that's, that's the whole reason why Malort's even uh, around that awful liqueur from Chicago. <laughs> uh, <it's got> <laughs> Cue all the cough. Cue the cough. I mean, it's just, couldn't have been better timing right yeah. there. But, um, but also, I think, like, at the end of the day, what people are paying additional money for there's usually a good uh, consensus that, you know, likes it. To each his own, taste for yourself. And if you have that money and it doesn't hurt you to spend it, I would I would ask that you, like, if you see it and you know it's overpriced, maybe see if you can buy it somewhere else where it's not overpriced. Because that, that, that therein is what pushes the equation further to, like, hurting the you know, the system. Well, I think, what is I think, the I think, context of the question? Yeah, I think, like, I think Brent's argument was to say that, you know, a craft distiller comes out with a three-year-old product and they price it at $60. Did they distill it? Yes. Okay. They got to make money. You know, it's that simple. I mean, and, and $60, I think, is a reasonable price for you, a craft distiller cannot be, you know, looked at in the same eyes as Jim Beam. Like, you just can't do that. And I remember when Peerless came out and they were like 90 bucks. And man, they took it on the chin. They took it on the chin. Uh, Garrison Brothers, you know, comes out a very high price point with their Cowboy product. Took it on the chin. I was very vocal about them being too expensive and, you know, in comparison. But, you know, when someone else wants to put up $20 million to build a distillery, uh, to hire people, to have, you know, build warehouses and all that, you know, and then I'm like, you know, you get a say in how that particular product's priced. Now, whether or not, you know, people are buying it, it's not a charity buy, but it's a small business buy. It's like the same reason why I'm going to a local shop to buy a candle 
instead of Hallmark because I'm wanting to support a small business. That's why I'm spending more yeah. money at, on eggs at a farmer's markets because I want to support the farmer. But that's it's that type of business strategy versus a a, a strategy of of winning over uh, on the shelf from a value perspective. But you know, and I think people too need to start getting used to younger age whiskey. <laughs> it's just going to be the norm because it's, it's going to keep coming. Or the 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 bourbon in industry is just starting, and well, and then the old stocks are saturated. Exactly, the old stocks are gone. It's they're they're gone, and they're it's going to take a while for that to catch up. And mm -hmm. it's like okay, I loved when Macaulay, you know, with the Wilderness Trail was like, "Don't come here looking to taste a ten to twelve year old bourbon. That ain't what we got. But what we got is something pretty good at four to five years, and that's very true. Yeah, and it's like what's your expectation? And it's like, and it's. Who's the people making this brand? You know, if like patting them, I love them. I love supporting them. I'm, I want to see them grow and flourish. I want to buy a bottle to support right. them. You know, it's like same with that craft story. If I go there and I meet the people behind it and see how hard they work and, you know, the the people and the story behind it, that makes me want to invest in them. And so, that, so they're, they, we can taste their 10 to 12 year old product. But there are brands that are just out there to make money on a boom and they're not putting the passion and the hard work behind it. And that's where probably I have the problem with it. But there's a lot of good people, good working, hardworking people that I want to support in this industry. So back to the, the sort of pricing thing. And I, I know I can't be alone in this. We all get the same exact question. And it's whether it's Christmas time or a birthday. And they're like, oh, my dad, my mom, my friend, my boss, whatever. Can you give me a recommendation that's uh, around $150? And I think about that and I, I yeah. try to think. I'm like, gosh, there's only three or four brands that always come to mind. And that's like Kentucky Owl. Forgate, maybe like Old St. Nick from Preservation. But I think about this and I'm like, okay, well, what they're coming out with, yeah, some of them are, you know, they have some source of products, some of them have some larger age statements. You know, Forgate does something that's very unique. Every single release is different. They do a bunch of finishing that justifies some of that price point. But I look at it and I'm like, why aren't more distilleries or NDPs just coming out with another brand? And just shoveling it at $150 and saying, there we go. Now we can hit this mark as well. Come out on Black Friday. Then we just would have on. an entire uh, conversation about, does this, the new wave of $150 bourbons mean bourbon is broken? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's. But I mean, I look at it from a business perspective. Like, why not put out a few cases and just have another thing that's out well, there on the shelf? It, I think because you got to be a long-term thinker. <clears throat> if you're just wanting to cash in short-term, yes, but. If you're trying to build a brand that's going to be around for a long time, you have to create and add some type of value. Yes, you can cash in on that one time a year purchase for Christmas, but that's not going to sustain a brand. You know, I see those bottles sit all year long until Christmas time or Derby time, mm. you know, and that, that's just not sustainable if you're going to, it's hard to be a, just a, a premium brand only. I, I can't think of one that's just, just that, and that's all they are. I mean, well, Pappy. I mean, the well, I know, but line. they have a whole line underneath right. them. That's yeah. you know, damn, they went out of business, you know, way back in the day. So, uh, but they had a whole line underneath them. They had cabin still and right. you know, old fits and all this. You were talking uh, about in the Stitzeweller days, yeah. You know, I that the hunt that is that is a that is a frame of thinking. Like if they're going to like uh, create something to put out, it better be damn good, you know. And I look at something like. Um, you know, once you once you go past that hundred dollar threshold, and we brought up Calumet earlier, that fifteen year old that they put out, man, it's good. And um, you know, Elijah Craig, eighteen year old, it's good. Although I missed the days when it was thirty five bucks, but 
um, you know, it just it better be good and it better have some age to it. And you know, no one's no one's buying the Abraham Lincoln bottle. You know, that's priced extraordinarily high. I forgot about that. Somebody one. must have bought it. It don't seem around anymore. Oh, I still see them. Yeah, I still Do see you really? Them. Okay. I, I, yeah, I think the liquor stores are just like, they've just taken them down. They haven't sold. They just moved them in the back because they're like embarrassed <laughs> by a, them now. That's a tough risk. Just <laughs> rotate them everywhere. Well, I, I just, you know, uh, the um, it is a difficult conversation when someone's like, hey, I've got 150 bucks to spend. And you tell them it's a, there's a, you should spend 60 bucks. Instead yeah, it's, of it's a, a tough conversation to have. You're yeah. like, you're like I, it's not to say I don't value your boss's work, but there's just no bourbons at $150 that I could say, yeah, go and get this one every day of the week. Yeah, there's a huge discrepancy in value from that 60 to 150. Like, and they hate it when you mention a brand that they, they deem as not being high, like Knob Creek 12-year-old. Like, oh, well, there's regular Knob Creek and... Yeah, you know, they just, they just, I don't know. There, there's just something about like packaging of some brands that just wows people, you know? And it just, I, I think it might, that might be the issue is just like put the same stuff in a, in a bottle that is like slender and has the, the Van Winkle feel and then be done with it, you know? I don't know. A cognac bottle. So you're trying yeah, to say that's yeah, what sells. Yeah. The cognac just, or the wine bottle. And just, or even, yeah, the, or, or Whistle Pig's bottle. Like Whistle Pig, you know, Whistle Pig to me is like one of the most fascinating brands because right now it's outselling like uh, a lot of the core products at major auctions. Uh, they're allocated. Uh, they're getting like deals with like major musicians. I mean, they're just, they're on fire. And they bought up all the uh, Alberta rye that was left. They bought like six, 700 barrels of, about the, of some of the lock, stock and barrel kind of uh, rye from Alberta. They just, they're just like crushing it. And so I look at like a, a brand like Whistle Pig and I'm like, how did they escape like all the criticism? And is it just because as simple as like they are not bourbon and they're rye? Is it that simple? Might be. But Willet escaped it too. It's like they somehow Oh no. Oh no. Willet did not escape. They they their the fan clubs carried them, but believe me, Willet got Willet does that gets plenty of criticism. People just aren't as vocal about it because they still want to try and get a barrel from Drew. <laughs> <laughs> quiet, quiet. Everybody, no, don't say anything about yeah. it. No, I'm just kidding. It, it is true. We, we've always said that Willet is one of those brands that it gets a pass. It always gets a pass. Um, people tend to overlook it, whether because it's a source product or whether they continue to release stuff at the gift shop for $1,500 a bottle. And, and by God, they should get a pass because they- They were one of the first to do it, yeah. They, and they bought, they bought the stocks that nobody else wanted and- They were smart you know, enough to do it. I tell people all the time, if it was not for Willett, if it was not for Evan Colesfeen, uh, bottling cash drink older whiskeys, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a bourbon boom, you know, because he, he kind of like helped pave the way for people understanding what really great bourbon could taste like uh, at cash drink. Oh, sure, Beam was doing it with Booker's as well, but Booker, I mean, it was it was brand Yeah, but it was a six-year-old. And, right you know, now. he crushed it, and it was largely for the Japanese market. But, you know, if not for that man, uh, you know, saving those stocks, they would have been blended off in Evan Williams. They'd been blended off in uh, Old Fitzgerald and been a bottom, you know, $12 pour. Or twelve dollar bottle, and you know he saved him. And the premium, the premium uh, movement of the twenty first century, really, the credit really does go uh, to Willet and some of its offsprings like Mictors. 
when I say offsprings, like people that used to, they bottled for. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I guess kind of one question to kind of look at this and, you know, Fred, you had alluded to Whistle Pig earlier. They came out with Boss Hog a few years ago and that was what, four, five hundred dollars That's right. Like that? Yep. And that was Dave Pickerel saying, well, we're just not going to let the secondary market exactly take anything out of it. Yeah. So I don't see any of those bottles on the shelves anymore. They must have sold. So I'm assuming that, you know, yeah. whatever is out there is kind of gone. So do we see this as kind of a, an ever going trend of pricing bourbon where we could see, you know, I just named off like, I need to buy something from my boss and he's going to be $150. What's this going to be in two years from now, three years from now? I need to buy something from my boss. It's got to be $300. Is there going to be a bottle on the shelf always available that's three, four, five hundred, a thousand dollars. What do we think the future of this is going to look like? I mean, there isn't cognac, there isn't scotch, you know, there isn't all those other categories. You see them at Total Wine, you're like, who the hell buys it? But somebody does. I mean, what Dixon came out with the the Kentucky Owl, that was a thousand dollar bottle, right? I mean, something like that. And I think, did that come out after Dixon though? After he left? I think it would have been before. It was one of his last, one of his last projects, but that was a thousand dollar bottle and it sold. Yeah. You know, I think, and I, I think this is going to be a very unpopular opinion, but I think that this is this is where special blends can live. Like when we say when we say bourbon, I'm I'm thinking of the category. Uh, if you want to open that up to American whiskey, uh, I think that this could be a very special place for some of the cool blends, like blend blend like a really old rye with a really old bourbon and you know, something else maybe. I mean, there's a there's a lot of room to play with here, but the packaging's also got to match the, the whiskey uh, inside. And that's where, that is where like cognac, they're putting it in um, in crystal. Uh, Baccarat and, and Woodford has that crystal. And, and you know what? Uh, that's coming up in auction. And I picked that as one of my favorite uh, for the auction because my audience for the auction were art collectors and they understand high-end crystal. So there's a little movement here, uh, but it's got to come with the right packaging. It just can't be a, you know, when we're talking $1,000, it's got to be the right packaging. I guess I always try to compare, and maybe it's wrong, but I, I try to compare it to like wine and I see people pay you know, they'll go to Jeff Ruby's and they'll pay three to $500 just for a bottle of wine that you get four drinks out of. And it's like, yeah. but I could buy a $500 bottle of bourbon and get like 20 drinks out of it, you know? And it's like, to me, it just seems like a much better value. You know, I have a, this expensive gift that I can last much longer than a bottle of wine, but I don't know. I don't know if it'll be like normal, but I think there'll be a, a lot more of that coming down the road. Uh, and so kind of last point here is that we know that we've all seen the the bourbon buying frenzy the past few years. And I don't feel like there's going to be a slowdown and I don't feel like there's going to be a tipping point anytime soon. So I, I'm going to have to disagree with Brent when he said that if customers don't buy overpriced product, the product either goes away or the pricing comes back to reality. I believe what we have now is what it's going to be and it's going to be here to stay for a while. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we'll see how, um, you know, there's a lot of people who think inflation's coming um, I know this, that, you know, people drink in good economies and in bad. And if, if we have a bad economy, if we have, uh, you know, uh, I think world factors play a bigger part in this than, you know, bourbon guy going into a store and dropping 60 bones. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There, it just seems like there's so much more wealth in the U S than there was 
you know, just 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's like the baby boomers did such a great job at saving and retiring and they're having these huge nest eggs and then they're giving it to their children. And then there's just going to be this wealth that just keeps accumulating in the U.S. and they want to spend money and they want to spend money on high end items. And while there'll be, yes, good and bad times, I think there's just going to be always a premium market and in bourbons trying to find that voice in there you know, with wine and scotch and Rolexes and whatever, I think it has found its place. And it's just trying to figure out how it used to be the bottom shelfer to now the top shelfer. And it's trying to find out where that balance is. The journey of bourbon. And that's from, right. From bottom to top shelf. Drake sings about you. <laughs> well, that's going to be our, our fifth episode is when we start talking about from the bottom to the top of bourbon. So. <laughs> yep. Started from the bottom, now I'm here. But this was a fantastic way to kind of conclude the series on Is Bourbon Broken? A four-part series. So again, thank you, Brent Joseph, for for writing that and giving us uh, some really good thinking points to, to kind of talk about here. But with that, we'll kind of go ahead and wrap it up. Make sure you subscribe to Bourbon Pursuit and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on all the social media channels. And if you like what you hear, make sure you share with a friend and leave us a review. And also make sure you check out our good friend over here on YouTube, as well as his podcast, The Fred Minnick Show. With that, cheers, everybody. And we'll see you all next week. Pocket six. Toodles. Toodles.